We're going to be continuing with our study of Psalm chapter 19 this morning. Um, for those of you who haven't been with us, this is actually our um, third message. Excuse me for just a minute. And then when it doesn't. Technical assistance here. <laughs> Somebody? I'm sorry I broke it. Better not go back there yet. I still not on. <laughs> All right. There we go. It looks good. All right. As I was saying, um, we've been uh, studying Psalm 19, and uh, we we've already had two sermons on it, and this will be a third. And we're still not going to finish it um, this morning. We'll finish the very last piece of it next week. But if you would join with, join with me in, in reading Psalm 19, we'll read the first um, 11 verses. Actually, the first nine verses. To the choir master, a psalm of David. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out throughout all the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commands, commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. I probably told this story before, but act like you've you're hearing it for the very first time. It's one of those stories that I know really uh, was impressed upon me when I was a, a, a child. The story I'm going to tell you is, is something that happened even before I was born, um, something that my, my parents went through soon after they got married. One day, my, my parents and, and another couple, they decided that they were going to have a picnic. And uh, my dad had a, a a 19-foot um, Chris Craft boat, um, nothing special, um, the kind that was made out of wood. And uh, they were going to go from uh, East Chicago to South Haven, have the picnic, and then come back, which um, would have only taken a couple hours, really. Going there was fine, 
But on their way back, they hit a storm, and it was quite a storm. And apparently, um, the wind and the waves were, were so high that it was actually starting to swamp the boat. And, and thankfully, this, this boat had one of those, uh, was the kind of uh, boat where you could put canvas and, and click it into place along the front windshield, and it went most of the way back, which helped shed some of the water, but not all of it. And so for the next two hours, my parents and this other couple, they, they tried to keep the boat afloat. And thankfully, um, the engine was still running. I remember my dad telling me that the swells were at least 12 foot high. And they would go up a, up a swell, and the engine would be out of water. And when, when, they went, when they went down the swell, the engine would be out of water. When they came back up, it was usually a wave broke over them, and they would pop up to the surface with all that water that just got into the boat that they'd have to try to, to bail out. And that went on and on and on for two hours. I remember my parents telling me they've never been so scared in all their life, trying to get back to the, the port where they, they started from. And my dad said the only thing that, as he, well, every time my dad told me the story, There's two things that he always mentioned. One was that guardian angels were definitely sent to watch over them because there's no way they could have survived without God's help. And the second thing he told me was they were so thankful for this little um, compass that was sitting on the dash of the boat. Some cheap compass that somebody had given them. It wasn't even all that nice. It was old. It was starting to crack. But there it sat, glued to the front of the on the dash of the boat. And my dad said there wasn't much he could do but keep his eyes on that compass and they just kept going east, kept going east. No matter what the storm did, no matter what was happening, they kept going east until finally they got back to the harbor where they they started from. You know, and I think that that beat-up old compass, which definitely helped saved my, my, my parents from, uh, from drowning in this other couple. I think in a lot of ways it can be like Bibles. The, the Bibles that we carry. Now, if you just bought a new Bible, that's great. I'm not saying anything against new Bibles, but there's something about the old Bibles too. The ones that maybe your parents had. That they carried around and they wrote in and and it's the kind of pages that are all kind of bent over and crinkled and, and maybe even with some rips and, and definitely the kind of Bibles where you see a lot of underlining and writing in the, in the notes, in, in, in the margins. It's a lot like that compass. Even though it looked old, boy, it sure served a purpose. In our Bibles, it's the same way. They're like a compass for our lives showing us how we might know God and, and also showing us how we might be saved because of our sins. Now for the past two weeks, we've been talking about the way the heavens and, and the sky, how they proclaim the glory of God and the works of His hands. And how for those who have their eyes opened, and, and, and look and see how that, can be, how that can minister to them and how it can encourage them in their faith. 
to go out on a, on a walk some morning and hear the birds. The sun is just coming up. To see the dew on, on the grass or, or the hay. To see the butterflies or what's in the air right now. All those little, little orange moths, they seem to be everywhere. Um, still, it's just something beautiful, isn't it? It's something that just glads the heart and, and, and it points our eyes to heaven. It reminds us what a mighty God that we, that we serve. And while nature clearly points to a, a great and, and a mighty God, points to a Creator who made all things, yet the message is, is lacking. And the, the reason I say that is because it doesn't show us how we might be saved. It points our eyes to God. It, it proclaims that there is one God. But it doesn't help us deal with the problem of sin and what to do about it. And the only way we can know that is through God's Word. Is through, is through Scripture. Maybe some of you have noticed in our, our study of the psalm so far, but in the first six verses of this psalm, God's name is only mentioned once. And actually, it's mentioned in a very generic term, just like God. Not a special name like Elohim or uh, Shalom or any of that. It's El, E-L, which just means God. And yet, the three verses that we just, that we're focusing on this morning, Six times David uses God's name. Six times. And he doesn't use that same word for God that he used earlier. He uses a different one. Now he uses God's covenant name, which many of you would know is, is Yahweh. And so you have to ask yourself, why would, why would David do that? But I think in a lot of ways it makes sense. That, that he would speak of God generally in, in, in terms of, of creation around us and how he would speak specifically when it comes to God's Word. Because he wants us to realize, he's trying to impress upon us that Scripture comes from God. It doesn't come from man. God used men to put it down on, on paper. And we see some of their... Their, their characteristics, we see some of their uh, personalities coming through, the word that, is, that, that we read in, in Scripture. But yet at the same time, it's coming from God and we know that it's, in, it's inerrant, it's, it's pure, it's perfect. There's no flaws in it. And that's what David says. He says, the law of the Lord will just... Let me list the, the way he talks about Yahweh. The law of the Lord, the testimony of Yahweh, the Lord, the precepts of Yahweh, the commandments of Yahweh, the fear of Yahweh, and the rules of Yahweh. Makes me think of that passage in Timothy where it talks about all Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. It's the same kind of idea there. 
And, and, and what happens when, when we cherish the Word like this and we allow it to minister to us and we see it as God speaking to us, not just some words on a, on a piece of paper, but it's God speaking to us. Well, we're, we're, we're shown. And it restores the soul. It makes wise the simple. It rejoices the heart. It enlightens the eyes. It endures forever. And it's totally righteous. This is really an amazing passage proclaiming the sufficiency of God's Word. And I think the only other passage that goes into it even with more detail than this would be Psalm 119. And I encourage you to look at that sometime this week and see how it it complements this psalm so so well. So let's begin with uh, verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. David wants you and I to see that that the Torah, God's Word, that what it's teaching is coming from God. That everything that we find in in, in the Bible, in Scripture, is for our good. It's to help us. It's to guide us. It's so that we might be successful in life. God wants to bless us. He wants to bless each one of you. And He's given us a way that we might be, that that might happen. And that's through His Word. That means God's Word needs to be part of our lives. Not just something you feel obligated to do each day, but something that you look forward to because it's God speaking to you off those pages of the Bible. I think you could say the Bible is like a manual given to us by the manufacturer, showing us how God wants us to live our lives. Now, if you're anything like me, Christmas time, I hate manuals. I really do. You're putting a bike together for your kids. What's the last thing you look at? The manual, the instructions, right? I could put this bike together without looking at anything. Problem is, though, you end up with four extra pieces, and then you, where do they go? And then what do you got to do? Get the manual, get the instructions, right? Take a look at it. Oh, yeah, that's where that should have gone. Otherwise, the bike wouldn't have even worked. I think it's the same way with us as we live our Christian lives. We need the manual, we need the instructions. And when we don't take the time to read them, when we don't Dig into God's Word. We're all the poorer for it. We miss out on blessings that, that could be us. Now David calls God's Word perfect. I think a, a, a better word than perfect might be the, the word complete. That God's Word is complete. When it comes to His Word, there's, there's nothing more that's needed Nothing needs to be added. Nothing nothing needs to be taken away from it. It's perfect. It's everything that we need so that we might live our lives in a way that is pleasing to the Lord. Why does God give us His Word? Again, He He wants to bless us. 
He wants us to live our lives and walk in a way that's pleasing to Him, but on a day-to-day basis as well, he, He wants His Word to refresh us, to recharge us, to fill us, to fill our, our, our minds. There, there, there's so many mistruths being proclaimed every day on the radio, in music, on TV. How do we counter that? It's through the Word of God. It's the Word of God that helps us see. So we can see clearly what's going on in the world around us and and why we don't have to be afraid like the world is often afraid. Because we know that there's one who's holding all things in, in His hands. That He's sovereign and mighty and in control. This is why David goes on in the second half of verse 7 and proclaims the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. It's a divine testimony revealing to us who He is, who God is, and what He wants from our lives so that we might live our lives on purpose. Not just live our lives, A lot of people in the world, they just live their lives. And it's great to be alive, but God wants more from us than that. He wants us to live our lives on purpose for His honor and glory. That glory that is reflected through creation around us, He wants that same glory to be reflected through us. Through our lives, through our words, through our speech, through our actions. Through everything that we do. Verse 8 says, the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. When the psalmist talks about the precepts of the Lord, he's talking about the Lord's instructions and, and the Lord's teachings. As a result, God's Word, it's not just good ideas, good suggestions. Something to look at if you got the time. But it's something that we need. It's something that we have to fill our lives with. That's why at the end of verse 8, David speaks of the way the commandments the Lord has given us, how they're pure, enlightening the eyes, making clear the eyes, helping us see. There's an authority in Scripture that we forget about sometimes. It's not just God's wish for us, but this is God's will for our lives. And when we're willing to put Scripture in, 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 at, at, at such a high place in our lives and, and make it that important to us, it's, it's amazing how you are able to see so much clearly what else, what, what's going on around us, what's going on in, in our country, what's going on in, in the world around us. The commands of the Lord are pure. Like other words that you could stick there would be uh, that they're clear, transparent, easily understood, showing us the way to go. You know, there's people today 
that want us to think that the Bible is old, confusing, too confusing, why bother? Ancient, irrelevant, really just kind of outdated. That was good for them back in, in the olden days, but this 21st century. Let me give you an example of something I, I saw this past week. Maybe some of you saw this on the news as well. It was uh, toward the beginning of the week, a news conference that our, our dear governor was, was having. And she was uh, signing some edict or uh, declaration, I guess you could say, that there will be no more use of state or federal funds to be used for reparative or, or conversion therapy for minors. And if you're not familiar with what this is, it's simply counseling to help somebody struggling with their, their gender identity, help them to, to live out who God made them to be. It's as simple as that. Obviously, this isn't an easy problem. This is the kind of thing that takes sometimes years to work through. But it is something that can be overcome because we have a God who can do anything, right? There's freedom in Jesus Christ. And that freedom is not just to do with um, our, our salvation at the very end and that we're going to heaven, but it, it's a freedom that we can experience even now as, as we live our lives. Well, the legislation, legislation that, that began with Obama, you might remember some years ago, it's been picking up traction. And now in some states, a pastor or a counselor, they can be fined or jailed if it's discovered they tried to help someone using this, this kind of counseling. I'm not saying that's in our state right now, but there's a number of states where that has already been en enacted. And our governor said earlier this week that countless LGBT youths have been subjected to much worse, not just in, in Christian ministries, but also at the hands of licensed counselors who perform what is known as reparative or con conversion therapy. Excuse me. These controversial mental health practices intended to change a person's sexual orientation or gender identity, are ineffective and often drive participants to the depression, anxiety, drug use, or suicide. This is coming from our, our, our governor. So our, our governor is directing her uh, department to explore what further actions can be taken to protect minors from this. Legal actions, penalties against those who would be involved in it in trying to help. She said, we must make laws against these kind of harmful practices. In her press conference, she said, the actions we take today will serve as a starting point in protecting our LGBTQ youth from the damaging practice of conversion therapy and in ensuring that Michigan is a reflection of, a, of true inclusion. That sounds nice. So that we're one. Inclusion, love, so that we can be together. 
Now, if you don't know your word, if you don't know scripture, if you don't know God's word, that's going to be confusing. And is this, if, if, if it's confusing to us as parents or, or grandparents, you better believe it's really going to be confusing for our, our kids. Because this is what they hear. This is what a lot of them are learning. See, we need a standard. There has to be a sense of ultimate truth. When there's no standard, that's when everyone starts to have their own truth and we have to respect everyone's truth. And, and you better not be the person that says that you have an absolute truth. The kind that comes from God's Word. See, but we have the manual. We have the instruction book, don't we? And so we got to get it out. We got to read it. We got to know what it says. Because the only way, way that we can teach others, the only way we can live by it, is by knowing it first and filling our hearts with it and showing our children how important it is. We have to be willing to share this truth even when it's not popular. You better believe it's not going to be popular, especially in this day and age. Especially with what we see going on. So does that mean we should back down? Turn away? Act like it doesn't exist? Maybe just build walls around our little community and hopefully all the problems will stay far away? No. Because those problems are here already. And so as God's people, we've got to be willing to live out that truth. And the only way we can live out that truth is by knowing that truth first for ourselves. We need the framework, the lens of Scripture to guide us. Otherwise, we're going to get lost. Be like that boat that I was telling you at the very beginning that my parents were in. If they didn't have that compass, how would they have known which way to go? It's the same way with God's Word. Well, there's one more verse. Verse 9. Fear of the Lord is, is clean, enduring forever. The word fear here, it's not the idea of fear like you're afraid somebody's going to hit you. It's not that kind of fear. This is the kind of fear where we worship or are filled with awe or reverence for the person or, or one that we're, we're speaking to. Listen to Proverbs 9.10, what it says about the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is is insight. Wisdom and insight. The fear the Lord brings. How does that fear begin to grow in us? That awe, that reverence for who God is. It's through the Word. It's by learning who God is. When we understand who God is, then we can start to see ourselves. 
and how far yet we need to go. What about Psalm 12, verse 6? This one I like. The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. That numeral seven, that's... It's kind of descriptive. It's, it's, it's a symbol showing us that, that what's being talked about, it's, it's, it's perfect. Um, in Revelation, seven is used a lot, and, and it's a perfect period of time. Um, the idea of, of seven. And, um, and in Revelation, there, 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 there's no... When it talks about the seven, for example, the seven churches in, in, uh, that Revelation 1 opens up on, um, those seven churches, that represents the entire church. And that's kind of what we're talking about here. Purified seven times. We're talking about the inerrancy of Scripture. That it's pure. And powerful and can change lives. I know there are people in our world, maybe some even sitting in our church pews. I'm not just saying this church, but in, in Christ Church today, that believe that the Bible is antiquated and out of date and irrelevant. But we have to fight that lie was Psalm 19. Or Psalm 119. We have to hear God speaking to us through His Word. Even the end of verse 9 reminds us that the judgments of the Lord are true and right altogether. The Bible is true. It's, it's our guide for living. In this age of relativity that we, we live in, again, that's not going to be a, 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 an easy sell. You might be mocked for it, ridiculed, made fun of. But we're called to live our lives for the Lord, for His glory and honor, that our lives, our very lives, will point to Him and will bring Him glory. This day and age where everyone proclaims their own truth, we have to be willing to fight against it. And we have to show them what the Bible does teach. That there is ultimate truth. Even though at first they will not accept it. What does the Bible say about creation? What does the Bible say about sin, salvation, about the Holy Spirit? What does the Bible say? We, we, we need to know. That's why it's so important that, that each of you have that time in, in, in the Word each and every day. And young people, that's why it's so important for all of you to be willing to make profession of faith 
to stand up in front of God's people and say, you know what? I want to live for Jesus. I choose Jesus. But in everything that we say, though, we need to remember that we need to speak the truth in love. Can't be Bible thumpers. That's what it used to be called. But we gotta love. We gotta love our neighbor. And when you love your neighbor and become friends with those around you, and, and, and not making it fake, but I mean the real thing, it's through that witness that people's eyes are gonna be turned to Jesus. I'll end this morning with uh, these simple words. I, I heard this years ago. I, I think um, Chuck Swindoll said it at the end of one of his sermons on, on a broadcast. I'm, I'm thinking like 20 years ago. That's why I don't remember the details of it. But He said these words were so important to him, he even put them on his, his study wall. This is what he said. Let Scripture be your standard. Love be your law. And mercy be your message. Let me read that again. Let Scripture be your standard. Love be your law. And mercy be your message. May God help us through the strength of the Holy Spirit to do just this. May we live for the glory of God. Let's pray. Father in Heaven, we just thank You, Lord, for Your Word. Lord, thank You for the impact it has on us through Your Holy Spirit. How Your Word can change lives, change hearts. Bring the most hardened person onto his knees in repentance before You. Father, we praise You that we have Your Word. That we have the freedom to read it each and every day. A freedom that in many countries they don't have. But Lord, impress upon us that, that more than this just being a book of knowledge, Lord, it's Your love letter to us. And so Lord, may we see it as that. And may we look forward to the time each morning or each evening when we crack our Bibles open and spend time with You. Father, thank You for the gift of Your Son, Jesus, that the Word became flesh. Glorify, glorify Yourself, Lord, in this church and through our lives. We ask this in His name. Amen.